Comrades, welcome to the Antifa News Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel, allegedly. And welcome back, folks. It's been two weeks, just over two weeks, 16 days, since we've been able to update you with your favorite anti-fascist analysis of our local, state, and national headlines. Um, it's been a moment since we put together a little podcast. It's been a busy couple weeks. I took a little excursion to Portland and then to Seattle to be able to cover different things slash, you know, take a little bit of time away. Um, but in the meantime, the news doesn't stop. It doesn't stop at all. And I'm actually excited to be getting back to you after these two weeks because we've had quite a bit of news break out in such a time to make this a very exciting episode. Now, I, I want to take a short break for a second and say that if you are somebody that enjoys the Antifa News Network and would like to see our work continue, um, I'd encourage you to donate today to uh, Venmo or Cash App, Allegedly Miguel, if you can. Or, that's, uh, again, my Instagram handle as well, Allegedly Miguel. Um, I will also, I'm also considering making a Patreon in order to continue the work of keeping you updated with what's going on around here. Um, and as a part of that... I'll just put it up on my story at one point to see people's engagement with such an idea, but that is forthcoming. So, again, I mean, this is this is all free, what we do. I don't make any money off of this, including my writing. Um, I've just wanted to dedicate myself to writing for the movement and writing for anti-fascist analysis and thought and praxis. Um, and as a part of that, again, if you're somebody that can support the network, um, please consider donating today. But again, it's all free because this is what we're about. We're anti-capitalists, so we want to make sure that this remains free and accessible to the people, specifically the people in Olympia. So that's it for our intro. And again, welcome to the Antifa News Network. This is episode four, and I'm your host, Miguel, allegedly. Thank you. For our first story today, we're going to look at the Olympia Police Department and the city of Olympia, specifically in the last year. Now, for those of you who have been paying attention to the writing and the zines being put out through the Antifa News Network, this was a large highlight of the recent piece written called Olympia Doesn't Care About BIPOC and the Movement for Black Lives in 2021. You know, which is pretty accurate. Olympia does not care about black or indigenous people of color particularly because it's such a white-led and controlled town um, where you know only 7% of the populace is people of color. So it's rather unfortunate. Um, but here's the thing. There's been a lot of developments in the last week, and particularly what was the main focus of this recent zine. Um, for those who did not see, in the last week, the Olympia Police Department, through the city of Olympia, decided to release their, quote, guiding principles for demonstrations and crowd control. Now, the first thing that I'll comment on is that the header for the website is spelled wrong. So it says demonstrations, but we'll go ahead and let that be, City of Olympia. Maybe you could spell check things from time to time. This is a... Uh, a very interesting document that is very important for us as people engaged in the movement and engaged in protest work to analyze because there's been some changes. Here's the, the intro from the Olympia Police Department themselves. In light of the 70-plus demonstrations the Olympia Police Department responded to in 2020, they produced the following guidelines and future actions needed to share with the community regarding how OPD plans for and approaches demonstrations. It is important to note that the city is currently undertaking a comprehensive review of OPD policies, practices, and training related to public demonstrations and crowd control responses in 2020. This study will provide specific recommendations on policies, training, mutual aid agreements, and pre-demonstration communication protocol to ensure OPD responds to public demonstrations in a way that is unbiased, ensures public safety, and upholds the First Amendment rights of all individuals. Now, um, this this you know intro language is obviously a lot of uh, a lot of just feeding us what they what we want to hear. You know that they somehow the police does care about protecting the First Amendment rights of protesters even though they don't. Because here's the thing, a lot of this wording, um, and particularly with the concept of how they're going to respond in the future, that has only come about 
and this this specific document, it's a seven-page document. We're going to break into it today. But this has only come about due to the movement for black lives in the last summer. Um, and not just the movement for black lives, but the amount of police brutality inflicted by the Olympia Police Department. The amount of tear gas that they released within the first few days were very peaceful protests, just, just large numbers outside of City Hall. There was a lot of anger. A riot is the language of the unheard, no? Now here's the thing. Um, a final report will be completed in the fall of 2021 regarding their guiding control, their guiding principles for demonstrations and crowd control. But what this shows is not that the city or... I mean, rather, the city is pressuring the Olympia Police Department due to public pressure not to just tell us what their guiding principles are, but rather to reevaluate them. There's, uh, there's, there's things changing. There's some, some things changing. Now, this is not enough. Obviously, reform will never be enough. It's time for abolition. But let's just go ahead and look at what some of these reforms are. First, tear gas has been discontinued. That's very important to break down. It's towards the end of this. Uh, it's on the sixth page of, sorry, fifth page. Fifth page, yeah. Tear gas discontinued. OPD recognizes the concerns expressed by the Olympia community regarding the use of tear gas. Recent legislation also further restricts its use. Therefore, OPD has eliminated tear gas as a tool for dispersing civil uh, disturbances and has disposed of all supplies. Wow. Wow. Let's give some context to that. Last year, during the Movement for Black Lives here in Olympia, there was a march held in uh, the beginning of July in which people marched around to the councilors' houses. Now, the reason that this happened, the city council's houses, now, the reason that this happened was due to a recent vote in a city council meeting. Um, originally, the city council had put a moratorium on the use of tear gas. And about two weeks later, <clears throat> they decided to go ahead and introduce a measure to reinstate its use. <sighs> so here's, here's the thing. The recent legislature that they're referring to is uh, a lot of bills passed in the Washington State House and Senate. Um, and as a part of those state legislature bills passing, another thing that uh, would have to be in place is I, now it's that the mayor themselves have to give uh, oversight and approval of the use of tear gas. And Mayor Cheryl Selby, who's already gotten enough pressure from the community, probably didn't want that to happen. So, uh, yeah, so they decided to go ahead and get rid of their supply of tear gas, which is, you know, a win on our part, but not the end at all. Not the end at all, because we'll see what other forms of police brutality they take. They acknowledge that due to the changes, they're going to have to... Um, where is the, the wording on this? Enhanced officer training. So they're going to have to uh, figure out new ways to disrupt and break up demonstrations for black lives. Because that's, let's be real, that's what it is. They're not, they're not interested in protecting the rights of left-wing protesters here in Olympia. They've shown that many of time. In fact, they're more interested in teaming up with vigilantes. But here's the thing. Here's the interesting thing. So all of us remember last year during the movement for black lives, at the beginning of June... An officer named Officer Tiffany Coates from OPD decided to pose with the Washington 3% who were guarding a storefront during the first few days of the summer. Now, the rest of the city, and by that I mean businesses, and a few city council members came out to condemn these armed groups who were threatening protesters. Um, now, let's be clear, the Olympia Police Department gave her Officer of the Year the next year. Oh, and they were also flashing the symbols of white power. I want to make that clear. The three percenters who were posing with this Officer Tiffany Coates. So they decided to exonerate her, give her Officer of the Year. But there's new wording here in this, uh, in this uh, crowd control measure guideline, whatever. Um, it says, OPD does not want, nor will it allow, the assistance of vigilantes, armed groups, or anyone who is not a police officer to assist carrying out the duties and functions of police in any circumstance. Engaging in this type of conduct is unlawful, and OPD will, t will take enforcement action against violators. Um, and this, the, the header on that is, assistance from armed groups expressly prohibited. Now, um... Let's go ahead and analyze that. I mean, we'll see how long that lasts. That's the thing, is that OPD can come out and condemn it all they want, but many of their officers are members of vigilante groups such as Washington's 3%. 
Um, and they're affiliated with groups such as Patriot Prayer. I mean, and that's also who they protected during the uh, November and December anti-democracy Stop the Steel rallies that were happening. So the, during the months of an attempted coup d'etat. So, yeah, I mean, it makes it pretty clear whose side they're on. We know this, but but we'll see whether this specific new guideline is going to be enough to cut off that strange collaboration between the OPD and fascist mobs. What is also interesting is that in these guidelines, they also have guidelines for protesters. And one such thing is that they uh, want organizers to be able to coordinate with OPD. I mean, it really it depends on what type of event you have. I am not somebody who coordinates with the police for events that we try to organize. In fact, I think that's kind of defeats the purpose. Um, however, you know, there can be family events, family protests where the Olympia police, this, what this is, I, let me just, let me put it this way. What this is, is the Olympia police pushing the duty onto the organizers to blame them for the amount of violence that the police used last year. Olympia police, it, it was intense, flashbangs, grenades, I mean, uh, Fuck, just coming out heavily armed for a small march coming through downtown, tear gassing us. I, there, there are so many instances. And, you know, regarding that tear gas, I want to go back to the tear gas for a second. So it's been about a month. Uh, uh, sorry, about a year this month. The 24th of this month will commemorate the time or the first use of tear gas again in the summer in Olympia after the moratorium was ended. Um, there was that moratorium that was put in place. City council voted to overturn it. All but one, who turns out to be a bad city councilor anyway, so I'm not going to give her name any credit. But essentially, that tear gas that was used on, it was uh, July 24th, 2020. Now, there was a big protest going through downtown in solidarity with Portland, who was facing the feds and who still faces the feds defending ICE facilities. However, um, because of that night and their march against the amount of tear gas being used against the people in Portland, the Olympia police decided to throw tear gas at a group of protesters who were trying to disperse and being chased off by the area. And basically what happened was this was over on Jefferson and 7th, and um, after this gassing, an enormous cloud of that gas went into the local apartments next door. And there were a number of people that reported breathing issues and other issues that they had because of tear gas filtering into their homes. So with this, it's kind of a similar thing. I mean, that same night, there were children in the crowd. And now Olympia Police wants to say that it should be on the responsibility of the organizers to communicate with them as to what their goal is. You know what? Our goal is to end the police. Why would we work with the police? So... Another interesting part of this document is a new directive on providing and calling for a medical response. OPD officers will provide or call for medical assistance for persons injured at demonstrations. In 2020, OPD encountered a number of individuals who suffered injuries during civil disturbances. Getting medical personnel to those injured in an immediate need of medical care was often very difficult due to the location, number of demonstrators, potential safety risks, and barriers to ingress and egress. In response to this, OPD has developed a partnership with the Olympia Fire Department, in which we now tra have trained medics walking alongside police officers at public demonstrations. The role of the medics is to care for people injured, not to manage crowds, or act as an agent of the police department. This ensures that anyone injured dur in, during a public demonstration will get immediate medical assistance. Again, the Olympia Police Department needs to do a tiny bit of spell check, because that last sentence, you got injured in during a public... What are you talking about? Okay, so here's the thing. This, this obviously provides new protocols for how to have medical aid at a protest and you know there's there's a lot to unpack here because uh you know one can't help but think of the the main instance that opd must be referring to is december 12 2020 when a uh, anti-democracy stop the steel rally was met with a counter protest that forced them out of town and during that time in which the fascists were fleeing the capitol building one of them turned and shot somebody point blank in the abdomen this was a, uh, a Trump supporter wearing a very clear MAGA hat shooting a unarmed young black man who, who was protesting to 
uh, you know, stand up to fascist mobs. So that's the thing. Um, you know, that's that's the thing is that the Olympia Police Department is referring to and has new uh, new guidelines because of this instance, because during that time, the uh, medics on the ground were not equipped to deal with trying to save this person's life after being shot directly. Um, they knew they knew what to do to get him to the hospital, but essentially what they needed was an ambulance to come in. And so they made a call to 911 and requested an ambulance to come to the scene of the protests in order to get this man out. But unfortunately, the Olympia Police Department had closed down all roads leading to downtown. Yeah, the, downtown was on lockdown for a few hours. And because of that, they denied their request to be able to send an ambulance through. So this was on the Olympia Police Department, and this was a choice willingly made by the Olympia Police Department. So that's the thing. Now they're now they have a new protocol, which is they will have medics on hand around to be able to help people in those demonstrations. But the problem is, again, those people, I mean, inherently they will be working with the police, and that's what you have to worry about. These people want to take us out for our activism, and yet they want to work alongside people who give life. We have our own medics. And you know what happened that day, December 12, 2020? People used their own truck to escort this man to the hospital. It had to be medics, our own medics, who drug him out as he bled onto a stretcher, onto a truck that sped over to the hospital. And so the Olympia Police Department is trying to take credit for what is to them a new guideline, a new way to show that they care. But if anything shows that they allowed this to happen, that somebody was nearly murdered at the Capitol by a fascist because Olympia Police allowed it to happen and then basically refused medical aid to this person. And there have been multiple instances that they have also blocked people from giving medical aid, especially after they tear gas. And especially after they bear spray, bear, sorry, mace people. The difference between mace and bear spray, obviously. So there's that. Um, and now we know one of the most important developments to this. I mean, it's been a lot of important developments to this, but this this uh, one specific article from the Olympic Police also notes that. Enhanced officer health and wellness is a priority. Yikes. So here's the thing. Caring and protecting the health and wellness of officers tasked with responding to a mass demonstration is essential. Major demonstrations produce an all-hands-on-deck response in which officers are mandated to work long hours under high levels of stress. Physical and mental fatigue impairs officers' ability to manage protests effectively and maintain positive community relationships. Yeah, it's really. I'm gonna pon, I'm gonna uh, pontificate here and say that yeah, it's really hard to maintain a good community relationship where you, when you're dressed in a whole like riot gear, you got all your buddies dressed in riot gear. They're all holding big guns and they're aiming them at activists. And you know, at that point, there's a reason the community is yelling at you, being like, "Fuck you, man! Take off your badge, take off your gun. Let's fight it out right now." So, yeah, that's why they're enduring high levels of stress. But the fact that the Olympia Police Department needs to acknowledge this, that, that their, their officers are being bullied on the front line, that's beautiful. That's beautiful to me. I mean, quit your job, man. I hope that that stress gets to be too much. But here's the thing. OPD trained 12 officers and professional staff to be a peer support specialist to support the emotional needs of staff. Additionally, OPD contracted with a local psychologist for officers to consult for mental health and wellness. Ooh. Ooh. Nothing. I think this is the part of this whole thing that makes me the angriest. Um, because, I mean, just look at it this way. OPD officers get paid 80K a year as a starting salary. Right? 80K is a starting salary. A lot of these officers took the opportunity to work overtime and be uh, demonstration slash crowd control. And basically, now they're facing stress because people call them out on the front lines while they're threatening them, being like, don't do this. And they're like, oh, now I'm stressed out. So I need to go get psychological help. Here's the thing. like, I love people seeking therapy. I think it's a very phenomenal thing especially when you endure high levels of stress but these officers can afford it on their own dime 
they can get their own psychologist. They have the funds to do that. Unfortunately, what you have in this community is an enormous problem with mental health and people on the street. But of course, you know, the people that, that need the, the uh, opportunities for that mental health, for therapy, for some kind of support, of course, it's going to be the OPD officers who, again, get paid 80K a year when they could just provide. And also because of their... This is what's frustrating, too. I mean, they have excellent benefits packages. That's why this community hates these officers so much is because they get paid out the ass. They get all the benefits and the rest of our people starve. And that's where we're at again is they have increased that. That means that in order for them to contract this, that means they increase the police budget in order to afford this for all these officers. And now they're giving this special new benefit to all these officers who really, again, don't need it. They're not the ones who need it. Not in this society, not in our city. So that makes me frustrated. And then finally, I do want to end this portion with what I think is probably the most interesting part. And the reason I say interesting is it feels a little uh, on the nose. So there's a new guideline to permit journalists and legal observers to monitor demonstrations. What does this say? This says journalists, legal observers, and others may observe and record the demonstrations and officers' response. Journalists and legal observers are allowed in areas open to the public. If they enter areas that are closed to the public, they will be asked to leave and enforcement action taken if they refuse to do so. Okay. So there are a couple things on here where knowing, uh, I think knowing the context and knowing the history of the movement in the last year here in Olympia, I can tell you that this permitting journalist conversation, uh, that definitely has to do with my false arrest on April 16th. So here's the thing. There's a march on the west, west side uh, on April 16th. started from the Taco Bell parking lot. And basically I joined in as a activist and as a journalist to be a member of the press and cover the police brutality. And at one point... Um, officers begin to give dispersal orders, so I separate from the group and start filming the police. And at this point, um, you know, officers bum rush civilians and caught them in a parking lot or tried to. And at this point, they started making a couple arrests. And I came down as a member of the press, live streaming and capturing the police, making these arrests and trying to, uh, you know, catch more people. I was on the sidewalk, walking alongside. And while I'm walking down, I hear this one officer turn to me and he's like, he's like, you get on the ground now. And I'm like, hold on, let me put my foot, get on the ground now. And they tackled me to the ground and it didn't feel good. It hurt. Now, OPD is lying about the situation. Um, They allowed a local fake journalist piece of shit through the jolt. The jolt is a trash publication, man, but... Basically, they allowed this, this journalist to put out a fake report saying that I, I was not tackled, that that was a, untrue. It's not untrue. There's a fucking video of the encounter, right? So here's the thing. Right after this, the next day, my phone gets replaced, and I call Jay Bernie, and I say, Hey, Jay, I'm like, what's up with your police officers threatening me with arrest and telling me it doesn't matter? Even if I have a press pass, they're going to continue targeting me because this happened a few days later. And Jay basically, you know, um, sorry, let's go back to the phone call. The initial phone call was just asking him whether my rights were violated. And I'm like, I'm a member of the press. This is a false arrest. I called him a little bit later in the week to be like, hey, why did they tell me that they're going to continue arresting me? But that's what this revolves around is the press pass, right? So this press pass, uh, the reason that there was a bit of controversy is because I made my own press pass called Antifa News Network, which is... 100% legal in Washington State, by the way, because as long as it represents a fucking organization that some people are going to recognize and has a bit of of following online, that's Antifa News, baby. So that's the thing, is that uh, Jay Bernie, the city manager, decided to go ahead and just tell his officers that it's okay to arrest me as a member of the press because he doesn't know if my credentials are... Well, now he knows my credentials are up to par, and I've had people call him who can verify my credentials, so that, that is change and now it's very interesting to see this this uh, tone change as well because that's the thing um, 
I mean, that's the thing is now things are changing. Let's see if they stick to this. But as far as this says is that as long as I'm on public property, i.e. a sidewalk, I should not have been subject to arrest. So, um, yeah, let's see what happens next protest. Let's see if they allow me to be a journalist or press or media or what have you in order to be able to cover the police brutality because that's what people are there for. You know, journalists, it says journalists may observe and record the officer's responses. And somehow, the moment that I tried to do that, I got falsely arrested. So, yeah, that's new protocols. We'll see what happens. We're going to continue updating with the guiding principles for demonstrations and crowd control. We might discuss new things as they, you know, become more important. But that's, that's it for that uh, little update, you know. Fuck the Olympia Police Department, always. And you guys don't need more money for mental health. What you need to do is give the money back to the protesters that you brutalized in the beginning. That's why you wrote this. This is, uh, you know, the Olympia Police and the city of Olympia acknowledge that this is because of the mass demonstrations that they saw over the last year. You know, that in the summer and fall they were, you know, for pro-BLM, still are, you know, pro-leftism, I guess, and pro-people's rights. But specifically, too, you know, it transitioned into anti-fascism. And that's like, in terms of those crowd controls, like, uh, you know, give the money back. That's it. Like, that's why people were in the streets in the first place, because there's inequitable spending on our local police department. I mean, it's really just completely unfair unjust and in the end instead of meeting people's demands you put out a document being like here are some changes we hope to make well you better fucking make them because i swear to god if i'm arrested one more time as a member of the press this city is gonna fucking no okay i don't i'm not gonna say anything to this city but there will be people who will be mad i hope you understand i will be mad Ah, fuck the Olympia Police Department. Again, just, uh, this sickens me. This sickens me and doesn't surprise me the least bit from the city of Olympia. That instead of giving us that, that change that we do demand, they give us a little bit of, of a document from Olympia, the city of Olympia Police Department, saying that these are hopes and cha- changes we hope to make, and it may take time, and we hope you understand. Fuck you. We have tried reform so many times. That's what disgusts me about this OPD debacle. Because this is not new. This is something that they did after they shot Andre and Bryson in the back, back in 2015. Another incident that we will have to get into, and I'd like to be able to talk with people about this. But, you know, in the end, in the end, that's it, is that reform has been tried Every time they have mass demonstrations for social change, especially for abolition here in Olympia. And what we know is that these reforms aren't going to work, especially if you give the police more money as a part of it. If you give them more money and say, hey, please change, but here's a reward, do you really think they're going to learn their lesson? No. Anyway, that's it for guiding principles for demonstrations and crowd control. Okay, comrades, I obviously got heated about that last portion. You know, but one could say that when you have been a victim of police brutality and state repression and harassment for your support of the movement for black lives and for your activism and journalism, one can very much tell where you're heated and hate city governance and hate the inequity in the city. Anyway, that part's over. So let's just go ahead and turn back to Sechas, or so-called Olympia, Washington, because it's time to talk about the downtown core. So folks, for those of you who have been paying attention, um, what has been a very interesting development is the new directive by Proud Boys to try to get themselves into our public spaces. Now, we talked about Nate Cisneros two podcasts ago, and... You know, that's somebody we'll bring up again. But the reason that we're bringing these boys up, these proud boys, oh God, is because there was a very fun adventure these uh, about a, a week and a half ago, last Friday and Saturday in downtown Olympia. So I was at a punk show at McCoy's Tavern on 4th Avenue, 
across from the crypt. People, people know where McCoy's is if you're in Olympia. But essentially, during this show, I decided to go outside for a smoke break, and I happened to see Nate Cisneros again. And of course, just like last time, he's with one of his buddies, and both of them are wearing full Proud Boy attire, very proudly. Now, people were already kind of avoiding them within the bar, but at this point, I let my comrade know what was good. I was like, hey, that is Nate Cisneros. I'm like, that guy's a domestic terrorist and needs to get out of here. Luckily, this comrade knew exactly what was up and basically started to round up our comrades. We were like, all right, you know, it's time to move. We have to get this person out of here. We get our comrades and then we let the staff know what's good. We say, those are proud boys. That person's very violent. Just know that this could turn into something else. And fortunately, one of the staff joined in to, be, to let him know to get out because he's really just not welcome in that establishment. Well, essentially, somebody, you know, group of people came up and they were like, hey, Nate, are you fucking kidding me, Nate? Get out. You don't belong here. And one person that was with him came up and he's drunk, very drunk, and he's like, well, you guys can kick me out, but I'm going to stay here and finish my beer. Let's just say a hand came up out of the air and slapped it out of his hand and onto the ground. And then some idiot who was a journalist was like, you know what, let me stomp on this with my boot and then realize what they did. But nobody really cared because they just wanted to get the Proud Boys out. So essentially, Nate Cisneros and the Proud Boys get humiliated in this bar. And Nate starts to freak out. He goes to punch somebody. Then he goes to punch me. And then he gets punched thrice in the face. I mean, just sent back. He's getting all pissed. He gets all cagey. You know, gets behind his table. And as he's surrounded by some members of the staff and some dudes who were just trying to de-escalate the situation, he pulls out his handgun. He pulls out a handgun and starts sliding it out. Now... Fortunately, what we found out later through an unfortunate circumstance is that that gun was a BB gun, and I'll explain. But basically, Nate Cisneros flips out, pulls out his gun in the bar, and all of us are like, whoa, gun in the bar. I'm like, Nate Cisneros is pulling his gun out. Nate Cisneros is drawing the gun. And at that point, that was enough for even the owner to come out and be like, get the fuck out of here. So the staff escorted them to the parking lot. And in the process of that, as they're out in the parking lot, Nate pulled out his gun and shot at the staff, getting one of them in the stomach with a BB. That's how they found out that it was a BB gun the whole time. He just shot it. Everybody kind of flipped, and they were like, oh, I mean, it's a BB gun. This guy's a fucking idiot. And then he proceeded to mace one of the people that not only works there, but went on to perform a show right after getting mace. I mean, that's badass. That's badass. That's McCoy's for you. So basically... We were able to identify one of the people that was with Nate Cisneros that night. Turns out to be Tony Cisneros, Nate's brother. That's very much confirmed. So Nate and Tony are now banned from going downtown because this should have been enough for them to learn their lesson, right? This should have been enough. But unfortunately, we've got a new development, (laughs) which is that the next day, the day after getting kicked out of McCoy's, and really not even a day. Like, it was it was late at night that they decided to show up to this place, and they got kicked out fast. I mean, it was like 10 o'clock, maybe 11. People were drunk. They just were barely getting in. So they get kicked out. Then the next day, they show up around 4 p.m., and they go over to Hannah's, which is a bar on four, or, or on 5th Avenue, rather, um, which is, you know, this, this whole story is shocking. Because before, Hannah's had been known as the bar where the chuds hung out, where Trump supporters hung out, where people, you know, there have been multiple instances of, like, Nazis waving flags in front of that bar. And by that, I mean white nationalists, not, like, full Nazi flags. Sorry. White nationalists have been in white supremacists, people waving big-ass American flags, Confederate flags, things like that. Those have been wo- waved in front of this bar. And basically... Um, the Proud Boys get in there, and what I didn't know was that one of the people that immediately started to talk to them had already been warned by the person who had been shot the night before to not let these fuckers in. Because, you know, there was a famous little reel going around from this local 
journalist. I put up a little video of the encounter. It was pretty, pretty uh, fucking hilarious. But essentially, they'd been told, like, these guys are 86. These guys are not welcome. They're violent people. And one of the bartenders who happened to be off duty was like, you guys aren't welcome. He's like, get the fuck out. Started flipping them off in the middle of the bar. He's like, fuck you guys. Because they came in, again, wearing Proud Boy gear. Kind of the same stuff from the night before. But here's the best part. Here's the be- It wasn't just Nate Cisneros in that, that bro he hangs out with who's got the terrible beard. The black beard, patchy worker beard with a trucker beard with a trucker cap, you know. No, no, it wasn't just those two. This time, Jake Beard, behind enemy lines, decided to join them for their drunken escapades. And let, let's talk about Jake Beard for a second. We've reported on him a few times through the Antifa News Network because this guy's a piece of shit, you know. Um, I first encountered him and started... Uh, having issues with him back in November of 2020 um, with the Stop the Steal crowds. He was coming out to, you know, help document their terror upon the, uh, you know, civilians of Olympia, Washington. But basically, it starts coming out during those, and he was there for December 5th, and he was there for, he was not there for December 12th, I don't believe, but he was there for the 5th, the day that, uh, you know, Things got very, one of the Stop the Steal rallies that they turned super violent. And you can see so much video of him just sitting, sitting up by the church recording people. So this guy's a grifter, basically. He's a fascist grifter who comes out for right-wing events to be able to monetize off of them. Um, the other part of what's concerning about him is he's not just he's not just a, quote, grifter. He's also a very dangerous motherfucker. Because... What I'm going to define as his like prime incidence of domestic terror is that he loves to join his violent right-wing buddies when they go out to left-wing demonstrations and basically disrupt, infiltrate, try to cause fights within the crowd. You know, he and Nate Cisneros are famous for that. They love to go up to these things. Uh, Jake Beard was in Bellingham and Portland with Nate Cisneros when he like got got into multiple violent fights with, you know, black women, people, and just people marching. I mean, they they really try so hard to get in and cause violence so they seem like a little bit of a victim. And so, as part of their victim complex, they decide to go over to Hannah's because Jake Beard. Jake Beard lives in Vancouver, Washington, y'all. That's a that's a long ways away from Olympia. And apparently, he drove 110 miles that day to go and join them for their little drunken escapade, which was shut down very quickly by one of the bartenders. And then, as they're waiting in front of this bar, just throwing a public fit that they were kicked out and flipped off by people inside. You know, they're like... They're pacing back and forth. They're looking like they want some trouble. That's when the owner comes out, and she's like, look. She's like, it has nothing to do with your politics. You're just waiting to cause a scene. I can see that you're waiting for the people inside. I'm not going to send them out to get into a little fight with you. And that's the thing is, you know, uh, Nate Cisneros is recording full, recorded fully saying, like, oh, we don't need to throw the first punch. We'll let them hit us. And then she's like, oh, that's what you're here for. That's why I need you to fucking move. Like, you want violence, bro. That's what you're here for, to commit a hate crime on camera. Like, cool. To which, I mean, Jake Beard is one of the dumbest goons you will ever meet in your life. Because his comments, like, drove 110 miles for this. Thank you. Thank you so much for proving my point. (laughs) Fucking nerd, man. What a loser. So yeah, Jake Beard of Behind Enemy Lines. Watch out for him downtown. You can find a lot of info about him online. I mean, there's a huge leftist just just surge against this person because he's violent and a threat and likes to join Nate Cisneros because, you know, let's be real. The purpose of them going downtown was to find a place where they could harass the staff and feel then, then made to look like we should feel bad for them while they're yelling and, and harassing the owner of Hannah's, who's just trying to get them to move, you know? He drove 110 miles to harass a woman. Like, so fucking proud of you, Jake. And now, you know, we've got some new developments, which is, well, I mean, the developments is that there have been no developments since except one. 
So Friday night, I went downtown, kept an eye on the bars. Proud Boys did not try to come down. Saturday night, I went up to Seattle for a show. Um, and as far as I know, from my sources inside the bars, they did not try to come downtown. Sunday, same thing. I mean, Sunday, luckily, I made it back into town. I went out for a tiny bit for going home and crashing. But, you know, as a part of that, there seem to be no Proud Boys downtown. So right now, it looks like Olympia has the upper hand ever since they were kicked out by first Hannah's. uh, Sorry, second Hannah's first, a group of anti-fascists who just had an issue with them being there. But the new development, the one new development, is that Thomas William Hughes is so angry about this scenario. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with Thomas William Hughes, we've definitely talked about Tommy quite a bit through the Antifa News Network, um, but not enough to really give you a full rundown. So Thomas William Hughes, he goes by Country Tom. He is a right-wing piece of shit. He's a fascist who was heavily involved with the events of January 6th. That is, uh, and really more the Stop the Steal rallies that led to January 6th. So the Stop the Steal rallies in Olympia, Country Tom started making a presence. He would dress in a, uh, a three-piece suit. He'd play a guitar and he'd wear a fedora or a cowboy hat, you know, depending on which he felt like. But he had this weird, weird alter ego going on where he's seen as Country Tom. And he'd play, he'd play his guitar country songs at Proud Boy festivals, you know. Um, other things he started going around the pacific northwest he started getting involved the stop the steel rallies happened um, on december 5th you can see thomas william hughes dressed in his suit with an ar-15 attached to him wearing a fedora charging into a crowd punching multiple people in the face getting in fights um, as part of the fascist day of terror december 12th he was not there because he's a coward right there's a chance he might have been. That one we'll have to fact check. December 12th. But January 6th, they hold a rally at the Capitol building um, in Olympia at the same time that Donald Trump called for his fascist followers to gather in D.C. And this is, this was huge. This was, it was very disturbing, very concerning. Um, I, as the anti-fascist that I am joined comrades in basically getting every single license plate of every car that was there (laughs) and during the course of this I start to get updates about yo like you need to get over the capital now and watch what's going on yo they just breached the governor's mansion because that's what happened is they breached the gate to the governor's mansion got into the yard and had full intentions of killing Inslee but they tried to break a window and then they ended up getting shut down by another like fascist who's like well we're not here for that man we're just here for the symbolism of it it's like no you guys could have done a lot more to win and overturn democracy if you did something harsh right something extreme and that's the thing uh so thomas william hughes is filmed there you can see him walking around so we're wearing some kind of tactical gear with his with his fedora um and he basically takes the microphone and starts to tell people about january 11th now january 11th for those who are unfamiliar was the day that members of washington's three percent and other general members of the far right QAnoners, i mean just a bunch of people what they intended to do was invade the legislative building they completely intended to get into the capitol building in washington and cause havoc just like they did on january 6th um now in this incident, the uh, it was because of January 6th, and particularly because of the threat on Inslee's life, where he had to flee. He was home, by the way. A lot of people don't know that. He was in the mansion. He had to flee out with his wife, Trudy. But him and Trudy, they got their life threatened, and then they're like, hey, why don't we call in the National Guard? So they call in the National Guard, who builds fencing around the Capitol, effectively shutting down this fascist threat. However, you can't... I can't have a big fascist rally like that without at least one person being an idiot and getting himself arrested. <laughs> because Thomas, Tommy William Hughes, Country Tom, Tommy, whatever you want to call him, Tommy was so dedicated to this cause and he was so upset that his plans were thwarted that he decided to go ahead and try to charge past the riot line of National Guardsmen himself. 
You know, so he starts going into there. He's got an AR-15 strapped to him, hands in the air with an umbrella. He's like, I'm going to fucking go through. And he got arrested, um, which is funny. <laughs> Wasn't even bad. I mean, they just like, kind of, like, took him. They were kind of confused, too, because they'd warned him multiple times. Like, get back, man. Like, you're being a goon. And basically, Tommy's like, nah, for the freedom of this country and all, yee-yee. So... Yeah, um, the freedom of this country for them to overturn democracy because they're mad that their white supremacist fascist leader is going out of power. And that they lost the gubernatorial election in 2020 anyway. I mean, by a landslide, it's pretty bad. So, yeah, that's, that's Tommy for you. Now, the reason I bring up Tommy, the only reason I bring up Tommy is Tommy was so mad about this that he got onto his own personal telegram. He had a telegram channel that people were subscribed to. And he basically just, like, posted, like, four different pictures of me, a picture of Antiva News, a picture of a drink I had downtown. And he's like, what is up with this? He's like, why can't we just drink downtown, man? He's like, you know what? You just prodded the wrong horse. Who wants to join me to go drinking? You know, um, which is funny. Because I, I basically just reposted the screenshot that I got from his chat. I was like, hey, Tommy is threatening me with violence and uh, hoping to come drinking downtown. Because it was. Let's be very clear. Um, that's actually like a big part of why I was so pissed. I wasn't even pissed. Why I thought it was so funny they decided to take to his page and talk, to, talk about me. Because, dude, like if you want people to not think you're a domestic terrorist, please stop threatening people with violence. You know, stop being like we're, we're two true patriots who are going to get into a fist fight over our right to drink downtown. It's not over your right to drink downtown, bro. It's over like your fascism. That's if you weren't fascist, people would allow you to drink downtown. Nobody's bullying you just because you're that that the uh, white male because that's what they love to tell themselves it is, you know. And it's not. It's really not. It's it's just more like these guys are violent and pulled a gun on people. And now Tommy Hughes or Country Tom wants to join Jake Beard, Nate Cisneros, Tony Cisneros, and whatever other members of the Capital City Piss Boys we can identify to go drinking downtown. So, yeah. Um, it was supposed to happen this weekend, I guess, but seems like uh you know once somebody posted publicly about and by that i mean me when i posted country tom's little screenshots from his dumbass telegram he decided to take it down within like five minutes it was just private so you know that that could very much cripple his chances to be able to come downtown and try to organize a little fascist disruption of our bars and more violence um, that could be enough, but it could also be that he's trying to do this in private and we will not know when a group of five goons come downtown. I mean, we'll know, but they won't publicly announce it because they don't want to be shut out of the bars. And now here's the thing. Um, if you are somebody, I know this is a weird like ask, but if you are somebody that works downtown and if by any chances you work either in a restaurant or a bar or a restaurant bar or a bar restaurant or a bar or a restaurant, why don't you hit me up? Because I've got a really cool little educational infographic for you that I was asked to make by some of the bartenders downtown who want more gauges on, you know, the dangerous people to watch out for. So as a part of that, I made a little flyer with people's faces and names to know. Um, and I would love to be able to supply local businesses with who to kick out because I'm not... That's the thing, you know, out of out of this entire experience, what the funniest part is to me is that if Nate Cisneros didn't want to be kicked out of bars, if he and the Proud Boys really didn't want to get kicked out of bars, then don't react with violence and don't pull your gun in the middle of the bar. <laughs> and don't shoot the stab. I mean, this whole night, he just made all of the worst, most violent decisions he could to where, like, if he wanted to maybe paint the narrative or try to even twist the narrative. I mean, I'm fortunate because most of the people at McCoy's are anti-fascist. You know, most people fucking are. Like, it's just, even today, I was walking into Fishtail Brew Pub to apply for a job. Hey, uh, I happened to run into somebody who's wearing a really cool anti-racist, anti-fascist hat. And I had to point at it. He's an old man. I was like, you're, you're awesome. He's like, thank you. So that's the thing. It's like most of us are anti-fascist. And 
even if he had tried, like, he could have done something to be like, well, actually, Antifa's violent, and look at Miguel, blah, blah, blah. He could have repeated something from Andy No, and maybe people would have, like, cast a little bit of doubt on what I'm saying about you goons, but nah, nah. Well, the thing they had to do was go for violence. So, yeah, fuck Nate Cisneros. Let's keep kicking him out of bars. Boom. Comrades, so to finish out the show today, I wanted to talk about what is happening in L.A. Um, I don't know if other people follow journalist Vishal P. Singh, but I would absolutely give them a follow. They are one of my inspirations to the work that I do, and they do so much to cover what's going on in L.A. I mean, it's it's a big town. Uh, comrades, I... I'd like to move to a big city, you know, with the journalism I do. It just would make more sense to be in a place that actually has news. Olympia gets sleepy. Olympia is a sleepy little town. So I love watching what's going on with other journalists in other big cities. And one of my favorites, Vishal P. Singh, has been on the front lines of what is one of the most disturbing battles that, that is just playing out in America right now somehow, you know. Very interesting. Not a shit ton of people are talking about it outside of the left, of course. And the extreme right. That's the thing. So, basically, about a few weeks ago, there was this uh, false story being spread about a worker in the Wii Spa. They claimed that this trans, trans worker had basically revealed themselves to a child in the bathroom. This was untrue. This story is completely untrue. It's one of those made-up stories that they literally tell you about things like, you know, like the bathroom panic. It's it's all just panic based off of not understanding gender, things like that. Things that just it, it doesn't things things don't happen. It wasn't real, and unfortunately, this has prompted extreme members of the far right to come out and rally against the Wii Spa. And really, not even just against the Wii Spa, but against trans people. To like call out, they're calling out this spa through their rallies and basically targeting it, saying that this trans person doesn't deserve to live and doesn't deserve a job, you know. So basically, um, anti-fascists in LA came out. They were like, we're not going to have this, not in front of the Wii Spa. I mean, it's a, it's a place where a lot of people go to Let's just say, uh, you know, be in a cultural place. I don't know. Just be in a space where they're safe. You know, that's what I mean more. And it just it's disturbing because there are extreme fascists that wanted to come out and terrorize them. And so as a result of this, Antifa came out. Um, Anti-fascists came out in mass um, and came out to the We Spa and basically held a counter protest to what was mostly QAnon believers. Like it's mostly QAnon and other extreme fascists who were uh, conspiratorial thinking that they think not only is this event real it's kind of like the pizzagate conspiracy you know these these events that they say happen inside of this establishment then you go there and they're like yeah that never fucking happened but that's basically what it was it prompted a bunch of QAnoners to come out and um terrorize the wee spa because that's what it was they came out heavily prepared for violence. They came out angry. They were harassing people. And when anti-fascists came out to oppose them the first week, things got bad. Things got violent quick. Because here's the thing. I mean, anti-fascists, like, it depends obviously on your interpretation. I'm definitely going to go for more for the fact that anti-fascism has a more militant side. I'm not saying that militancy is all fascism or all anti-fascist action, right? But as a part of that, you have comrades that are willing to fucking throw down. And people were willing to throw down with these extreme transphobes who were just really horrible, nasty people. And when I say things got violent, that's that's because really who instigated the violence? That was the fascists. They went straight for for trying to stab people, for trying to hit people with poles and flagpoles and bricks. And basically, I mean, they got they got violent fast. Anti-fascists stood up and began defending themselves. Um, but, you know, during the first week, during the first part of the protest, oh, my God, there's this woman who was stabbed, and she tried to blame it on Antifa. But the thing is, there's, like, video footage from Vishal P. Singh himself 
or themselves that show that uh, no, it was definitely a fascist that stabbed their own friend. They were trying to lunge at an anti-fascist and just stab this woman all the way down her hand. So that got that got violent. It got messed up. And LAPD came out and basically made a riot line to obviously protect the fascists and go after the anti-fascists. Now, um, this story has been obviously developing because the protests continue. I mean, we'll see on whether or not they hold a third part to this, but part two became very intense. Um, basically, not only did did the uh, the transphobes and the people that sought violence, like they literally labeled this as the battle for Weespa part two or part two of the, the battle with Antifa, things like that. They knew they were going and they, they were seeking violence. Like that's what it's about is these people seek violence. And uh, you had several new members of the extreme right come out to replace the people from the previous week. Um, in fact, there's this one video released by a figure out of um, out of LA, and I'm not even I'm not going to give you his handle or his name because he doesn't deserve any notoriety for what he does. This man loves to film himself in tactical gear with his comrades. Not his comrades. You can't have a comrade. With your fascist buddies, your fellow fash, just basically, they're, they're dressed in tactical gear in a van talking about their plan to brutalize and attack Antifa and Black Lives Matter activists and trans activists. I mean, they, they discuss their desire for bloodshed, and he releases this whole video not only entailing that, but showing him committing domestic terror, because that's what it is. I mean, like... If you see a protest movement for the rights of minorities and your response is, hey, let's go uh, seek violence on them, let's go instigate the crowd, you are a domestic terrorist. And that's what these people are doing. I mean, they were basically filming themselves doing an act of domestic terror in front of the Wee Spa. So that was disturbing. And as a part of that, just this last weekend, this Saturday morning of last weekend, the anti-fascists in L.A. came back out. Came back out because there was a second part called to this battle. And like I said, you had members of the far right filming themselves, basically admitting to what their plan was. And it got shut down um, semi-quickly by LAPD. They weren't allowing skirmishes between you know, members of the far right and anti-fascists. Fascists versus anti-fascists, I, I should just stick with that term. But basically, yeah, they weren't allowing the fascists and the anti-fascists to, to, to skirmish. Um, and as a result, they made like a very intense police line in front of the Wee Spa. During the, pro the, the part of this, I mean, the, uh, wow, the, the leanings and the views of the LAPD were just, just fully made clear. I mean, really, just some of the most clear anti-trans actions and behaviors. I mean, there was this one medic who was just literally standing in the corner, had her hands up. She's like, put your gun down. She's like, you don't need that. This uh, police officer was dressed in full riot gear and had a green shotgun. And now those green shotguns are, they shoot uh, beanbags, right? But that's still at the, sh like, at the speed of a shotgun. It still hurts. And basically, this woman's standing probably like 15 feet away. She says, please put the gun away. Put the gun away. You're scaring me. This is bullshit. You know? And he basically pulls the gun up and just pops her right in the middle of the chest with a beanbag shotgun. And she collapses, clearly marked as a medic, collapses. There's, multiple, there's so much footage of them just attacking random people. And there's this one specific piece of footage which is just the most symbolic behavior. Just behavior and who they are because the LAPD um, a riot line went past, past this activist who was just waving this trans flag in the middle of the road you know trying to show we're still here and and essentially this cop comes up as part of the riot line he just comes up he just grabs their their flag and tears it away from them and then he puts it on the ground and stomps on it and rips it off the flagpole and then runs off so, yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty clear on where their sympathies lie. Like, do they actually care about trans rights? Hint, the answer is no. LAPD hates trans people. 
Surprise! Welcome to our society. Ah, so folks, that's the thing. I'm gonna keep. I mean, we'll be keep keeping an eye. It's been, you know, Vishal. Oh, that'd be the most important part. Vishal P. Singh got fucked up. I absolutely admire their work. I would love to meet them at some point. You know, that's my goal. Meet some of my uh, my inspirations as a leftist journalist, as a Gonzo journalist, but. Their hand got fucked up. I mean, they their their hands fractured because the LAPD swung a baton at the hand that they are known to record with. Um, and yeah, that's basically. I mean, it's kind of like a it's a thing where Vishal Vishal is targeted by LAPD because they know who they are and they know that they the work that they do. Kind of like how OPD targets me. I mean, it's. And basically, they got targeted directly. It's it's something that happens on the ground, is what I'm trying to describe. I'm trying to say that like when you're on the ground and you're part of a protest, you can tell when the local police department is targeting you. They'll name drop you. They'll call your name. They're trying to intimidate you. And not only that, when things hit the fan, when shit hits the fan, they will go after you. They will rush after you to be able to tackle you. You know. Um, it's something that we journalists really have to deal with. I mean, it's not just being a member of the press. It's also when you have, when you're obviously a leftist and, and you're a gonzo journalist because you are not willing to listen to the police. I mean, it's it's about doing it for justice and doing it for other people. So that's a bit of a, a, a little side spiel. <laughs> but basically, because, yeah, because Vishal got targeted on the ground, one of the police officers assaulted them with a baton and broke their hand. And it was particularly because they were filming at that hand. Um, fortunately, they're they're okay, you know. But this is this is what it's getting to. This is LAPD is getting very extreme. I mean, they've already been extreme. LAPD LAPD is one of the most problematic police departments in the fucking nation, right? But you know, the one thing that I will say is that uh, this battle. I mean, it's who's to say it's over either? Because it really depends on the QAnoners. They're the ones calling for the protests to be had there. You know, and the anti-fascists are coming out to disrupt it because they're tired of them inflicting violence, hate crimes, and just general hatred on people who are going to a fucking spa. So, yeah, that's what's happening at the Wee Spa. Like I said, anti-fascists standing up for somebody being targeted because they're trans with a lie, with a, a conspiracy just based on horse shit. Like, it's all... It's all part of the general QAnon conspiracy web. For those that aren't aware, I mean, QAnon basically functions as a web. It's not just the the notion, like QAnon is not just the notion that the Clintons eat babies, or the Democrats eat babies as well. Um, I mean, it starts off with that. That can be a very binding force, but it's really a big collection of wide conspiracy theories. And many of them are very anti-trans. Things like stories of people quote, revealing themselves in bathrooms that just aren't true and are obviously built to stoke anti-trans rhetoric. So, yeah, uh, solidarity with the comrades in L.A. I mean, really, you all inspired me this weekend to watch what was going on and see how you stood up to hatred, stood up to fascists who, who stab people. who stab their own people, but also stab people. And also, another incident to laugh about, apparently villain went down to... LA. Now, for those of you who don't know who Villain is, he runs this uh, account called Villain Report. Uh, <laughs> he's been shut down on like all platforms, but Villain Report is basically just he's a streamer and uh, he's a fascist. I mean, he's just a really bad person who stands against people's rights. All of his accounts have been shut down. I'm trying to like open something so I can see where he's at. Yeah, all of his accounts have been shut down. His Twitter is the only one that's running right now. But basically, Villain went down to L.A. And he's like, hey, he uh, his friend posted something. It was behind enemy lines. God, let's wrap back to Jake. Because Jake posted something. He's like, hey, whichever one of you uh, bear sprayed Villain in the eyes... It's not cool. You shouldn't hit your own side. You should check where you're pointing it first. That's pretty funny. Now, apparently, Villain like went all the way down from... I think he's from Portland. I'm going to look this up real quick before we move on. But let's see. Villain report. Yep, Villain. Citizen guerrilla reporting. Seeking truth. Nah, bro. You're just a fascist. 
Oh, please tell me the Twitter's not just shut down again. Yep, his tweet's been taken down. Wow, that was quick. Because, yeah, just barely. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, basically, yeah, it's taken down. But he just barely went down to L.A. and tried to join in on the transphobic protest. So, like, be part of it. Be part of fighting anti-fascists. And he ends up just getting bear sprayed pretty quickly by his own side. So... <laughs> And I want to thank Jake Beard for posting that. That was pretty funny when you're like, whoever did this to Villain is going to suffer consequences. <laughs> oh, man, Villain, you did that to yourself. You did that to yourself. And that's what's happening at the Wii Spa. Is it's, I mean, just Villain getting sprayed is kind of just the perfect representation of what is happening at the Wii Spa, which is basically just this this most, like, completely untrue unrealistic conspiracy theory prompting these people to act to violence and them just just hurting each other so although i will say they also hurt a lot of activists in solidarity with those activists who stood up to hate and to the police who were protecting hate so abolition in our times that's it for the antifa news podcast I'm your host, Miguel, allegedly. Join us next week for an anti-fascist analysis of local, state, and national headlines, particularly headlines revolving around the capital of Washington and Olympia, or the greater Pacific Northwest. Now, if you have tips on local racist bigots and goons for us to report on, along with other stories, please contact us at antifanews at protonmail.com. That's antifanews at protonmail.com. You can also reach me on Instagram at Allegedly Miguel in order to be able to hand us news tips in order to do more episodes and do more anti-fascist analysis of news. But again, that's it for Antifa News Podcast this week. I'm your host, Miguel. Allegedly. Thank you. <laughs>